Episode 4 of Solving Healthcare, aka the Quadcast. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Karamantang. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients and their families because inefficiencies, overwork and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost effective, dignified and just for everyone involved. This episode is brought to you by the Resource Optimization Network. This is a group of clinicians, administrators, researchers, allied health professionals looking to improve the healthcare system by any means possible. So if you're looking for a team to provide research advice, consultation, or how to do knowledge translation, please reach out to Resource Optimization Network at Resource O-P-T-N-E-T at gmail.com or check out the website at resourceoptimizationnetwork.com. Okay, crew, we're at episode four of Solving Healthcare, and this one's a good one. But before getting to it, I got to get a couple things off my chest. Number one, this is our fourth episode, and I've yet to thank our producers, Laura Thompson and Yasmin Chowdhury, who, without their help, I for sure wouldn't have been able to produce this bad boy. So thank you guys for all your help. Second, my wife heard the episode with Dr. Tamina Epen, and she she heard us talking about how free psychotherapy would be amazing and how, how could we end up doing that in the Canadian healthcare system. And me being the silly husband I am, forgetting that my, my wife works at a family health team that provides free psychotherapy for all members within that family health team. So there is actually a structure within Ontario that allows for allied health, extended allied health services. So um, we're going to have a separate episode on that. Hopefully, Matt, if you're listening, you're going to join the podcast. So yeah, I paid the price on that one. Okay, next, I got to tell you about our guests on episode four. His name is Dwayne Hickling. He is a urologist over at the Ottawa Hospital. He is an expert in female pelvic reconstruction surgery. He's also a scientist at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. And the reason I have him on today's show is his innovative ways on how to improve the patient experience. He's invested in medical scribes, i.e. individuals that sit in his clinic that help transcribe the notes of that uh, patient interaction. And he also participates in e-consults or virtual clinics in which assistance of mobile device, your phone, your tablet, or your laptop or desktop computer, you can have consultation or visit with Dr. Hickling. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I got to tell you, I love this. I know I'm Dwayne for a long time, so you could hear the authenticity in our interaction. So uh I hope you enjoy it. Dwayne Hickling, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> All right. So, Dwayne, we've known each other for how long, would you say? Probably 
45 years? Yeah, about 45 years. And uh, happy 42nd birthday, by the way. Uh, thanks for coming. I think we can start off by you describing what is the day in the life of a specialized urologist such as yourself? Well, a lot of variability in my days. So a fair amount of time is spent in the clinic. So I see consultations, follow-ups, but I do have days where I do a lot of diagnostic testing, urodynamics, cystoscopy, um, and then, of course, OR days, typically one day a month. Mm -hmm. um, so day starts very early, 6 o'clock. Never really know when we're going to get done, sort of when the work is done, that's when we go home. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty routine that way. I also build in uh, some research time. So mm -hmm. at least two days a week I spend focusing on uh, projects and research questions. Nice. And talk about talk about your practice, too. Like, you got some pretty sophisticated training in New York. So what, mm -hmm. what patient population are we talking? So my practice is fairly focused on female issues in urology. So the training I had was in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. I see women with uh, a number of different urologic issues and included in that is pelvic organ prolapse, uh, urinary incontinence, voiding dysfunction. And also as part of my practice, I uh, see a lot of um, people with neurologic lower urinary tract dysfunction. So this happens uh, to be in patients with spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, and every other neurologic condition. There's a, a high prevalence of urologic conditions and complications. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes up a big part of my practice as well. Okay. So in your world, say specific to uh, the pelvic reconstruction and, and uh, female urology world, where do you see the problems in the healthcare system? I think in that specific field, I think we don't do a very good job addressing potential issues before they happen. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Um, pelvic organ prolapse and incontinence is very prevalent, but a potentially preventable condition. Um, we don't do a good job recommending first-line therapies like pelvic floor physical therapy, postpartum physical therapy, to ensure health of the pelvic floor and avoiding some of these pelvic floor disorders. So there's injury that can happen with childbirth, uh, with pregnancy, um, and we don't tackle that early on in the early stages, and we're kind of dealing with the problem later. Uh, mm. And I think a lot of these conditions could be prevented if we had a better system in place and we had better coverage for interventions like physical therapy. Yeah, because that's fair. Because right now, unless you have an excellent insurance plan, if you're a government employee, you're not always getting physio covered, correct? It's true. There's uh, many patients that I see who I think would benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy, whether that's for incontinence or pelvic floor dysfunction leading to voiding issues. They often can't afford physical therapy mm. and they don't have insurance and programs like um, Ontario drug benefits, um, don't cover physical therapy. And, and sometimes that's the, really the only solution to their problem. Um, and they can't, just can't do it. Maybe walk us through then like an example of a patient that 
is not getting that physiotherapy, like what's the extreme end of that? What does that look like? This would be very extreme, but mm-hmm. I have seen patients who have very bad pelvic floor dysfunction to the point where they're unable to empty their bladder. They require catheterization or eventually some form of major reconstruction urinary diversion, which could potentially have been avoided if they had a prolonged course of physical therapy that was covered. So literally, if I'm understanding this right, you don't get your physio. You require some sophisticated surgery that uh, divert your essentially your urinary tract uh, away from down below. Right. And in terms of like rehab, in terms of time in the OR, what, what is a patient looking like? You're looking at uh, potentially a um, all-day OR for uh, some reconstructions with lifelong follow-up, potential for bowel issues, for infections, for long-term need for secondary procedures or reconstructions, hospital admissions, mm. you know, for this type of surgery, seven to 10 to 14 days of recovery and then wow. the rehabilitation and six to eight weeks at least off of work, sometimes more. So, I mean, what you're describing, a problem that could be better addressed by having something as simple as physiotherapy early on, without it, we're seeing you know, potential for prolonged OR, prolonged dysfunction, poor quality of life. It's, would that be yeah, fair to say? Absolutely. And this, I mean, the reason I thought it was worth bringing this up is physiotherapy, something as simple as that, how effective and how important it can be. And this is once again, a first line treatment that is not covered, which if you think about it, why not? You right. know, like if, you know, we fund all these other uh, maybe medications that are not necessarily beneficial. And, you know, I, I just it's a bit frustrating when you, you know that something as simple as physio can have such a huge impact. Yep. And um, when you see that the first line for cuts is usually physiotherapy or any kind mm-hmm. of allied health professionals, it's kind of insane when you think about it. And if you look at other healthcare systems like in the UK, for example, if, if you're a woman with stress urinary incontinence and you're coming in to see your, your surgeon looking for an operation, you don't qualify for that operation unless you've had physical therapy wow. and, and it's covered in that system. Mm-hmm. So it's a totally different perspective. And we know that a vast majority of patients with that condition can be successfully treated or at least their symptoms improve to the point where they don't need surgical procedures or mm. uh, other more aggressive types of interventions. Yeah, that's going to be for sure a show that we'll do at some point. It's the power of the physiotherapist because, you know, it is when you hear stories like that and you hear about systems that do have that in place and, and the effectiveness of that, like that's brilliant. You're not getting an OR yep. until you have been, until the, this resource has been exhausted. Um, I think that's beautiful. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because the main, main reason I wanted you on the show, you would think would be to talk fantasy football, <laughs> even though I, I did demolish you a couple weekends ago. It was sinister. Um, I, you do two things that are 
innovative as far as I'm concerned at the Ottawa Hospital. So one is the virtual clinics where you, you could see patients from afar. Yep. And the second thing is you, you use scribes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And maybe talk to the listeners a little bit about your scribe experience. Yeah. So this started about four years ago. I was finding that I was just drowning in paperwork, having a tough time keeping up with my charting, getting behind seeing patients. And I, I just found that to be very stressful. I felt that I could improve in terms of my delivery of care, but also just how I enjoyed my job and sort of after actually talking to you often about kind of getting rid of the things that don't make you happy at work. And this was the one thing that I found really was holding me back and kind of bogging me down a bit. And it was actually a resident of mine who said, well, have you, we were talking about this exact issue and he said, well, have you ever heard of a medical scribe? I said, yeah, a medical scribe, of course, you know, in Egyptian times, they'd <laughs> follow you around and write on a papyrus or something like that, right? Um, that was what I had in my head. And, and this person um, said, no, this is something that's really taking off in other countries and they're using it a lot in the U.S. So it got me thinking and I, I went online and I actually found there was a scribe service in Canada and it just happened to be in Ottawa. Mm. So there was an emergency physician at Queensway Carleton, so sort of on a whim, sent him an email and said, Hey, you know, would this apply to me? It, it, are you up and running? Can I do this? And he got back to me right away. We met a few times, talked about how this was going to go. And then I started looking into the possibility of bringing the scribe into, into the Ottawa hospital. Mm -hmm. That process took a long time. I had to get buy-in from multiple levels and had to go through appropriate channels through, um, human resources and, and, um, security and, and many other different features. Finally, when we got approval, we started doing it and it was immediate, had an immediate impact wow. from day one. And, um, I have to say of all the things I've done in my practice to improve my time at work and what I think is my efficiency and workflow and patient care and pa patient satisfaction, this would be that would hit on all of those. And it's the best thing that I've, I've done. When you first told me about you doing this, I was like, this is genius. Cause like, I mean, you're touching on it a little bit, but I think you could dive a little bit more in terms of like how much it does actually affect your efficiency, how much it actually affects the patient experience. Cause maybe walk us through like, you know, how many more patients are you able to see? Yeah. What is it like? being that patient on the other side now that you're have a, maybe some more time. Yeah. So in the beginning, when you start to work with a scribe, um, it does take a little time before you kind of get up to full speed. But as I said, right away, you notice a difference. You're able to concentrate and focus more on your patient. I don't, when I'm using a scribe, I don't even have a pen. I can look my patients in the eye. I can listen. I can, interact with them. And, um, I, I know I have somebody that's recording everything that's transpiring, everything that I'm saying. And so it really kind of frees you up to really focus and listen to your patients and really understand where they're coming from and what the issue is so that you can make the best decisions for them. Mm. What I can tell you about using a scribe is that I 
in tracking my tracking my before and after, my efficiency improved by about 30 to 40%. Wow. That means in a given time, in a given space, I can see 30 to 40% more patients. But I also feel at the end of that day that I'm still, I could see patients for 12 hours straight. I just feel completely fresh wow. at the end of a day because I'm not spending my time and energy navigating through a health record and, and trying to make it do the things I want to do and, and getting all the necessary charting and everything done. So with that work out of the way, I can just focus on what I'm good at and make the right decisions and just move on to the next patient, knowing that that patient's file is closed, the orders have been put in, mm. the prescriptions are done, and I can move on to the next one and focus my energy on that. That is I'm sorry, it's so beautiful because I think, number one, you get to look at your patient in the eye. Yeah. And we are in the era of EMRs. Like, we, we just got Epic put into our hospital system, which is, you know, I think long-term fantastic. But because it's, we're in the learning process, yeah, it's a lot of time staring at the screen, not on the patient. There are a lot of studies out there looking at how electronic medical records have changed our interactions with patients. And if I'm not mistaken, the majority of healthcare providers spend more time charting than they do actually with their patients. Absolutely. Which to me is just insane. And you think about why you get into this game. It's not, it's to have that human connection. It's to have that, that interaction. And I'll tell you, this might be too personal, but I, I was seeing, uh, we were seeing a new family doc, whatnot, and I, and they have a EMR tap, tapping away at the computer or whatever, and they ask about your family history, and my, my dad recently passed away. And so I'm, I'm telling her, you know, the circumstances behind that, and staring at the screen, very, it, it, it felt cold, even though I, I know she didn't mean for it to be cold. Yeah. But, like, it was just a time where you could – it would have been nice to have a, a little bit of a acknowledgement, you know. Acknowledgement. And, and, you can, and you can pick up on that by not only the language, the verbal language, but by body language. Absolutely. And when somebody's turned away from you and they're staring at a screen, there's no way you have 100% of their attention. No. And my big problem with these – whatever EMR you're using – is the expectation is that you are able to somehow interact with a computer and a human being at the same time. Right. And it's just not possible. No. And this is why I think this is so beautiful, the idea of the scribe. It's like you take that away. You take that element of tapping away at the screen and hold a hand if you need to. Yeah. Look at somebody in the eye. I don't know. That's amazing. And the other part that really got me excited when I heard about this is the freshness. And, yes. You know, for those that don't, that don't do clinical medicine, you know, every little decision you make grinds at you. It grinds at you, whether you want to call it decision fatigue or whatever you want to call it. It takes away your ability to make sound decisions in in the opportune moments you know what i'm saying and if you're having to do all these little tweaks you're, you're touching up this 
this console because you know you misspelled you know something here and there like that takes that that's grinding right and and also the peace of mind that when you leave work everything's done yeah that you know what you just hit on probably the thing that affected me most personally you know i'm very interested in improving efficiency at work and improving our patient care and making sure that our patients have a good experience and a good relationship with their physician that I can't see how you can't win with that. But from a personal level, I can tell you that there was a huge difference that I felt almost immediately. And that was with what you described as freshness. So, (laughs) so you finish your day normally without a scribe and you're, you're gassed, you're tired. You've just given all of your energy to not only your patients, but to making sure the records are all straight, all this extra time documenting. Often I found without a scribe that I would have to spend at least an hour to sometimes more finishing charts, going back, adding details, ordering imaging, faxing prescriptions, doing all these things that, you know, to try in an effort to try to stay on time with my patients and, Mm -hmm. and, um, but give them enough time. These are the things that you sacrifice and deal with later. Um, and I, not having to do that, finishing seeing your last patient, closing the chart, walking out the door, going home and not having to bring your work home with you was a game changer. And, and just coming home, feeling fresh, still having that energy. I could, be with my family, be with my kids and feel separate from work. And there's nothing that bothers me more than being at home and trying to be with my family when I have, when I know that there's work to be done still to finish my day. Oh my God. I can guarantee you that Heather, your wife yeah. could tell you the days that are, you have a scribe and yes. the days that you don't have a scribe. So I mean, we talk a lot about physician wellness and uh, burnout, and this is another thing that that could have such a a large impact yeah. in terms of quality of life of clinicians. Yeah, and and because um, going home and being able to properly engage with your family, yeah. not having something hanging in the back of your mind is huge. Like you and I, we both have three children yep. god bless them and listen to your moms okay boys and girls having that peace of mind improving family life all good right and you know people often ask me the first question i get about using a scribe is how much does it cost yes that's and i imagine we'll talk about that but mm-hmm. if if somebody if you had to put a price on that I don't know what I'd be willing to pay to be able to know at the end of my day, I can leave work. I don't have to bring anything home and just kind of go full in with the family. That to me, I would pay, I would pay close to almost, (laughs) almost anything to be able to do that regularly. Yeah. So even if this wasn't a cost effective endeavor in my practice, I probably would do it just for that reason alone. Absolutely. And I could promise you, from what you described, we talked about this a little bit offline. Yeah. I would be shocked if it wasn't cost effective. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Segway into pricing of uh, said company. So that, I mean, I that is something that comes up very often. It's often the first question that I get from other physicians that are interested right. in the scribe is, sounds like a good idea, but how much is it going to cost me? 
right? Yeah. Because we're we're all trying to trying to make sure that we're running things efficiently, but that we're not paying for it too much ourselves in yeah. in a way. But um, all, there have been a number of studies that have looked at scribe use in okay. different settings, in family care, in emergency rooms, in urology practice, and every single one turns out that it's much more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been cost saving studies. Um, these were us based studies, but right. they show that your return on investment is six to one. Really? Yeah. And the average, the average increase in efficiency is about 30 to 40%, mm-hmm. but your re- revenues are increasing by something like 25% mm-hmm. and the average cost. So you, you're, you're actually coming out ahead in terms of what you're able to bill and mm-hmm. what it's going to cost. So my, my medical scribe is paid out of my own pocket, out of my own practice. practice yeah. um, but when I really track that myself, my numbers really align with what's out there in terms of studies and literature. Oh, good. My, my efficiency went up, my, my cost of doing business went up a little bit, but more, more than the, the, the efficiency more than covered that cost. Yeah. Like you're netting. I'm netting more. more. Yeah. I'm netting more. That's beautiful. And it, yeah, I mean, the other consideration of course is going to be the patient experience, which we kind of touched on. But one thing, I mean, for sure is patient comes in to, to see you at clinic and you're at, you're on time. Yes. I mean, they're going to have a, yeah. they're, they're going to appreciate that. Yeah. But one thing, you know, that we haven't touched on yet is how do they feel about having a quote unquote stranger in the room? Yeah. Maybe lurking. I don't know. I, I've never been in a room with the scribe. Maybe speak to that a bit. So I think it's important. First of all, I think it's important that when you're using a scribe or a scribe service that you make it very clear what you want from that scribe. And from day one, it was important to me that I had a scribe that was essentially a fly on the wall. I, 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 you really don't want your scribe to really be a presence in the room. They're sort of tucked back out of the way with the chart, whatever that may be paper chart, or in my case, the EMR open and, and charting patients are often curious, but I have not had one piece of negative feedback from any of my patients. And often without the scribe in the room, I ha- I ask patients, so what do you think? Was that something that you were okay with? Is that, is that fine? And most people say, I think it's wonderful. It allows you to focus more on me and anything that allows for that is to me is worth it. The other point I would make about uh, patient satisfaction is that there ha- have been a number of studies that look at scribe use and patient satisfaction. A lot of them show that um, patients will agree or strongly agree that their patient-physician interaction is actually improved with with medical scribes, most likely with that sort of feeling that focuses on them. Mm. It's also interesting to note that people often perceive their time with the physician to be more than it actually is with the scribe. Wow. So you could be spending the same amount of time with a patient. They're perceiving it as being longer. And that likely comes back to that being able to focus and listen and address them. They feel they feel that and they perceive it as you giving them more attention over a longer period of time. Wow. I mean, those are great points. So basically, the literature is not saying that it's a bit awkward having that person in the room. It's more positive interaction with that clinician, with that with that physician. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. And there's another point that I wanted to bring up specific to my practice. So as I mentioned, I, I see mostly female patients. 
I'm dealing mostly with pelvic floor disorders. And so a very important part of my practice is physical examination, including internal exams and pelvic exams. As a male physician, I, I would imagine even as a female physician, you may be putting yourself in a difficult position or you're setting yourself up for a problem if you're doing that on your own. So mm-hmm. I have never done a physical exam without a chaperone mm-hmm. and I never will because I know of instances where people get into trouble. Right. Um, and that's something that's very important to me and something my mentor taught me. And generally speaking in my field, that's how things go. I was running into a lot of problems with finding someone available to chaperone. So when I needed to do a physical exam, it would require me to go down the hall, find a nurse, bring a nurse back, um, or get whoever is around, which is less than ideal. Not efficient. So when I have a scribe with me, um, they can also sort of act as a, as a chaperone. They're there with me. Their name is in the chart. So it's another, another piece of efficiency for me, but also, uh, protective in some way because I have another person with me that can chaperone the exam and kind of verify that what happened happened. Actually happened. So it's like two in one, like you're getting the scribing value and you're also getting that chaperone chaperone. Yeah. That's brilliant. You know, it all comes down to that hashtag freshness. Like I really think that's the most, that's the beautiful thing about this. I'm going to switch gears a bit to the other part that I think you're creating some innovation and wonderfulness. Do you call them virtual clinics or what do you call them? Like distinct clinics? I think that's a good way, a good way to describe it. The official term is e-consultation. It used to be known as a um, personal computer video conferencing or PCVC. The terminology now is e-consultation. So to just be totally clear, it's not an innovation that I came up with, right. but it's something that I've embraced into my practice. Mm-hmm. And here in Ontario, uh, that has been quite easy because there have been some advances in on Ontario telehealth yeah. in the Ontario telehealth network. So if you wanted to set up a video conferencing, for example, in the past, what you needed to do was walk down to a room dedicated to video conferencing connect with your patient who was also in a room in a hospital or a clinic dedicated to video conferencing. And that was very often to coordinate. So my experiences with that setup was that often you are somewhere else. You can't get to your appointment at that time. There's not really a waiting room. So often you would miss that connection. And sometimes patients wouldn't be able to, to make it to the hospital to, to see you. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, that was, um, in the neurogenic population that I work with that tended to be a big issue because it's hard for them to get to the hospital. Mm. Um, It's hard for them to access those rooms. And so we were having a hard time connecting, making that connection. That population in particular was the reason I really wanted to, to have this as a, as an option because for them to come and see me for what might be a short visit, these are patients that I'm seeing at least once a year these are patients that need to be surveilled for their lifetime mm-hmm. because of the nature of their lower urinary tract dysfunction, because of their high risk of complications. Right. Um, they need to be followed. And so when I started to work with these patients, I quickly understood that these visits, these 
five, 10 minute visits for me to say, how are things? Oh, they're good. Your ultrasound looks good. Okay. I'll see you in a year. To me, that's five minutes of my day, 10 minutes of my day for these folks. It's a whole day. They need to go through their routines in the morning, which are often lengthy. They have to arrange for transportation, which is often within, you know, a two pickup is within a two hour window. Then they would come to see me, we would have our visit, and then they would be waiting for the same transport home, which is often, again, within a sort of large window. So this is a whole day for them to come in to see me, to tell them that everything is okay. So trying to look for a solution to that problem, we started doing phone calls, but phone calls, as you know, aren't really above board in medical legally. There isn't really a, a way to document that. And you know, there's not really a way that you get reimbursed for that in our fee-for-service model. So it's a deterrent for a lot of people to offer that service to their patients. Um, And truthfully, you don't want to spend your whole day talking to patients on the phone. There is something that you miss in terms of body language, in terms of connection, when you're just talking to somebody on the phone rather than interfacing with them. Maybe video conferencing isn't as good as being in the presence of someone, but I think it's a much better... um, a much better substitute than talking on the phone. So Ontario Telehealth developed this PCVC or personal computing video conferencing, which now is referred to e-consultation, where you can connect with your patients if they have a smartphone, if they have a tablet, if they have a computer that has a a built-in microphone and a camera, which almost all devices do now anyways. Absolutely. It's a matter of getting their email Um, scheduling an appointment and sitting down at your computer wherever you are. So whether that's at home or your office, um, when you're driving, no, not not (laughs) Starbucks, Starbucks. Yeah. No, somewhere private and preferably not in your vehicle, um, (laughs) that you can connect with your patients. So I've started doing that in the last say six months and it's been just a resounding success. My patients are extremely happy with it. They like the interaction. They like to be able to see me. I like to see them. Right. Um, and uh, it makes a big difference. This is, I mean, you say a big difference, a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, that day for them, especially when you think about, like we did the ex- extreme end with the neuro, like a patients that have neurologic disorders, but even you got grandma Gertrude or grandma Nelson yep. that, needs to come over to the clinic. Her daughter has to take time off work to be able to bring her over to the clinic. If they live out in Armprior, I'm not sure where that is, but Armprior, it takes 45 minutes to get in. You got to find parking. Yeah. Right. For literally a five minute visit. Right. You know, like it, it's not for everybody. Like if there's something that's more complex or whatnot, yeah, fine. In-person yep. consultation makes more sense, but something that, collectively you f- you feel like does not need to be seen in person. Like yeah. it's, it is brilliant. Really. It works very well. And you're exactly right. It's not just for that select population. I've really started offering it to anyone. Mm. And um, I think everyone appreciates it. Oh, I think you get it on both sides. The clinician appreciates it. The, the patients and their families appreciate yeah. it. I even think within ICU, this is something that we could be, doing more of because we we often will get the outside calls like the mm-hmm. patients from wherever that might be a smaller uh, peripheral hospital and they're asking for your guidance you know and often you get the story it's pretty 
clear that they need to come, but sometimes it's not. And right. you, you get the story, you're not sure what to do. It'd be so nice to be able to see the patient to really get a sense of how sick they are. Because yeah. sometimes you get it on both extremes, actually. You, you bring them when they're not that sick. Yeah. And they're literally like eating bacon and egg sandwich or bacon and sausage sandwich as they're walking in the door. Beyond the like, meat. <laughs> beyond the meat. Uh, they, they, walk in, they literally could walk in through the door and you're like, oh, man, we just engaged uh, an ambulance or orange, like yep. um, expensive uh, transport medical service. Uh, you got to do new admission work, like all these like resources that were mobilized for really no reason. Yeah. And then sometimes on the other end of the spectrum, you see somebody, they give a story where they don't sound that sick. And then you, 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 they come in and they're like ultra sick. And you were yeah. like, oh, I wish they, we could have seen that page, brought that patient right. in earlier. Um, so I think that technology and that, and that, um, yeah, the technology bringing that into more than you know just clinics yep. is has a lot of potential upside. Anything that will prevent patients from complaining about parking is worth it. <laughs> it's the number one complaint at the hospital. What parking. About, what about food? That's a way. That's a like way down compared. Oh to man, parking. I saw somebody straight up. They were eating pureed French toast, and I I stopped what I was doing. I think I was just walking by the room. I was like. What you, what, what's going down right now? And they're like, oh, this is my pureed French toast. And I just, yeah, uh, no lie, just started dry heaving. It was a bit awkward. They're like, Dr. K, you okay? I'm like, no, <laughs> look at this. Um, <laughs> when they when they bring those food carts down the hallway, <laughs> I need to step in the hallway with a can of Febreze and just hose it all down. I'm like, I don't know what's in that cart, but it's, I'm not, I, I don't know how humans eat that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I saw something that looked like le legit like a rugby ball. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag rugby ball deliciousness. Okay, so uh, Dwayne, I, I think we're getting to the end of our fantastical conversation, and I think a new part of the solving healthcare or quadcast that I, I want to bring to the table is ending on a, a positive note. So I I was sitting on an interview yesterday for future intensivists. Uh, they were doing their fellowship interviews. And this kid described this story about one of his first patients. She had a diagnosis of, of uh, cancer, terminal cancer. And he was describing how engaged he was with the family, like meeting with them every day, you know, spending some time talking about her worries and, and her fear of dying and, and having a really genuine interaction with the family and but he even said you know call me when she dies to the son she goes call me and i want to be there with you yeah and and when he was describing the story and she dies and he comes sees that family they they hug it out mm -hmm. as he was describing i'm like this is what we got into this game for that connection yeah. and yeah. you know in a previous episode we talked about villainization of docs and clinicians and really when you hear stories like that it makes you realize we're here for good reasons like we really want to provide yeah. great care and when you hear like I, I i won't lie to you i was getting verklempt in the interview i was like i was sitting next to gianni i'm like you're not gonna see my, my ass cry you're not seeing that tonight <laughs> boy i'll never hear the end of it i'm feeling um, a little verklempt a little verklempt um 
but I wanted to hear from you. Did you have any story similar to that where you got a, uh, you know, were you connected with a family or a patient and it, it left a mark with you? I, I, I could think of a few and they're all, they all come with these old, very old, sweet ladies that have these terrible pelvic floor disorders and they come to see me regularly for therapy and they, every time I see them, they insist on a hug and it's like the best part of my day, mm. just getting a, a nice hug from this, you know, bending over, giving them the nice hug. I love it. It just brightens up my day. Mm-hmm. And I know we're not supposed to hug our patients or so we're told. But is, that, is that true? Well, I think I, I hug my patients. I, I, I love it. Yeah. And, you know, when it's when it's a re, when it's real, it's it's great. Yeah. I don't like I'm not I'm not good with the fake hugs. Yes. And like no, none of you could see Dwayne Hickling, but he's not a small man. And I was just <laughs> making sure you don't crush poor grandma. Yeah, grandma yeah. I have uh, to hold Fanola. back. I have to hold back sometimes. Yeah, you can hold back. Um, I do. I I did have a really awesome experience yesterday that I wanted to share. Okay. When you when you when you brought this up, I was just I was thinking about it right now. So I'm finishing my day, and I see this patient who had has I treated for kidney stones, and I saw him, and he I knew he didn't have an appointment, but he came over and kind of stopped me in the middle of my day, and he said, "Hey, I just wanted to come and say thank you." for everything that you did. I'm feeling a lot better. I'm very happy. And he said, I, I, got, I, I made you something very special. Mm-hmm. And so he said, do you want it? And I said, yeah, sure. I guess so. And he said, okay, just a minute. And he reaches into his coat mm-hmm. and he pulls out his wallet and he opens up his wallet and he pulls out this little baggie and he's like, here. And he gives it to me. And he's like, I want you to have this. And it was his kidney stone. <laughs> And he said, I don't, I don't want you to send this to the lab. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to take this and put it in on the mantle in, in, at your home or put it up in your office. He's like, I made this for you. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I thought it was so funny. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, it, it actually is kind of like a pearl, I guess. <laughs> so I made, I made uh, my wife a necklace out of it. Don't tell her it's for Christmas. It's for, oh, oh, I guess her birthday just passed. So that would make more sense. Dwayne, thank you so much for coming. This has been so much fun. And um, you're definitely going to have to come on again because, I don't know, I've been looking forward to this all week and and I think it lived up to the hype. Me too. I I was so excited I couldn't sleep last night. (laughs) I had a great time. I I think this is a great show. You're the perfect host. And, um, I look forward to doing it again. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much. Once again, everybody, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed episode four with Dr. Dwayne Hickling. In terms of take-home points at an administrative level, consider investing in technologies such as virtual clinics or even medical scribes to enhance that patient experience. From a physician-clinician point of view, Investing in scribes will allow you to have that enhanced patient interaction and also consider the idea of virtual clinics to allow patients and their families to not have to go so far out of their way to have that, um, to have to see you. And lastly, from a general public or patient point of view, engage your docs, engage your 
specialists say, why do I need to come see you? Why can't I have that interaction via smartphone? Maybe that medical scribe interaction will help us to have a more authentic interaction. So consider these things. Uh, last couple notes. If you want to send any comments or feedback, please send them at quadcast99er at gmail.com. That's quadcast99 at gmail.com. You can follow us at Twitter at uh, quadcast. Last thing, um, we're going to attempt our release dates to be on every Tuesday or every second Tuesday. We do have quite a few guests lined up for the next little while, so we're aiming for every week. So I hope that works out for you. Thanks again for engaging and listening in, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.